read Matthew 6, verses 7 through 15. It says, And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Without going any further, let's stop right now again to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words. Uh, they've, they've echoed down through the hearts and minds of your people now for centuries. They've been repeated time and time again. They've been memorized. They've been used as a pattern, Lord, and that's, I believe, what you intended by them. Um, a pattern that we would pray like this, Lord, help us to pray. Help us to be mindful of our prayers. Help us, help us to pray as you taught us, Lord. Help us to see the importance of this. May it not be trivial. May it not be ritualistic, Lord. Help our prayers to be genuine. Lord, this teaching is, is so familiar that it, it may be a temptation to tune out, Lord. Even, even I have to admit my own heart, Lord, I, Times I come across these passages and say, well, I've heard this a uh, thousand times, and maybe I have one, but I needed it this week again. So I pray that you would, as you've refreshed my, my mind and my spirit in this, Lord, I pray that you do the same for your people through the scripture. Teach us, Lord, to pray. And this week, ask in your name. Amen. Well, as we began Matthew 6, uh, we started to really probe into what I took as the main question of Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 6, and that is this. We summarized it with this. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? And as we looked at that question, we looked at two examples. Uh, we looked at the giving of alms or giving to the poor or uh, really giving in general, and we also looked at prayer. And as we started into the section of prayer in verse number five, we noticed a couple of things. First, Jesus, again, doesn't start this statement with if you pray, but rather he starts it with when you pray. In other words, there is an assumption of prayer on the part of Christ's followers. Prayer, like giving to the poor, would have been a part of the, the regular ethic of the faithful Jewish person, the faithful Israelite in Jesus' day. And as we examine the New Testament and Jesus' teachings in particular, we see that really is the assumption that a faithful Christian will be a praying person as well. Again, the question was for Jesus, not if we would pray, but why we pray. And as he asks the question, why we pray, he then thankfully dives into this teaching on how we pray. So it's not if we pray, but why we pray and how we pray. And the why is important. Again, a little bit of review, but 
if the reason that we do any of these things is ever so that we may be seen by others, then we've missed it. Um, Jesus several times uses the word hypocrite, which again, it literally means a play actor or a stage actor. If we offer our prayers up and the main intention of our heart is that others would hear us, then we have, as Jesus said, we have already received our reward. We've put on a performance, but perhaps we've not even truly prayed. But Jesus says if we pray in secret, and again, that could be actually in secret in a quiet place in, in your home or silently in your mind, or it could be publicly, but it is truly between you and God. If we pray in secret, then the audience of one, God himself, will see us, he will hear our prayer, and we're told that he will reward us. And maybe that reward is future. Maybe it is a crown that we will cast at Jesus' feet. Or maybe there are rewards that we will experience in some sense now. Maybe that reward is some answer to our prayer. Uh, now, not always the answer that we initially desire, but the fact that God hears and answers prayers is certainly a promise, and it's part of Jesus' teaching as well. We'll see that as we keep going through the book of Matthew. And we might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but even in the same Sermon on the Mount, uh, we read in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Uh, James, the brother of our Lord, says in the first chapter of his epistle, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. All that is to say that our God is one who listens to the prayers of his people. He cares about the needs and requests of his people, and he gives freely and graciously from his own infinite supply of good gifts. So we ought to pray. That's assumed. It's also tough. We ought to pray. We ought to pray to the Lord, not for the purpose of being heard by others or to be seen by others, but rather to communicate with God himself. And as we continue in verse 7 and following, uh, Jesus goes beyond teaching, teaching us simply not to be hypocritical or performative in our prayers, but he, he gives very practical and meaningful instruction on prayer. Now, before we go any further, I want to preface this message by saying this. Uh, I think, without a doubt, more words have been written on prayer than probably any other spiritual discipline. In the Christian life. Um, and that's probably not just true in Christianity, that's probably true in many religions. Much ink, as they say, has been spilled over prayer rituals, prayer habits, prayer postures, prayer formulas, secrets of prayer, length of prayers, time for prayer. Uh, there are books of pre-written prayers, there are books of prompts for prayers, there are churches that have the name prayer in their name, there are Rooms and hospitals dedicated to prayer. There are candles for prayer, incense for prayer, clothes and robes for prayer. There's CDs, so I guess maybe not anymore. Um, there are recordings of background music for prayer. Now, some of these things are helpful. I don't, I don't mean to lump any of all these things in and say that they're evil. Some of them are very helpful, some probably not. Uh, but I meant to be purposefully a little overbearing there to say this. We can spend all the time in the world thinking speaking and learning about prayer, but at the end of the day, 
This ultimate teaching on prayer, I think the best teaching on prayer in all the world is before us in this passage today. And it's really quite simple. It's, in fact, immensely simple. And I don't want to give the notion that prayer isn't, isn't spiritual or religious or that it's not a great work. It's, it's probably the greatest spiritual work that we can do. I want to, on one hand, put aside any idea that, that prayer is, is mystical. There's, there's no incantations or special language needed for prayer. But on the other hand, may our prayer not be ritualistic. May it not be rote or disingenuous. May it simply be real. I want to let Jesus' words speak more than mine today, as I always hope they do. But before we dive into that, here's the, the main idea. Prayer is not a ritual or a tradition. Rather, it's a simple, direct, and genuine communication with God, our Father, as we approach his throne. If you have your outline, jump over here and grab this so I can follow along. If you have your outline, you'll see, you'll see three things. And the first is, is simply this. Prayer is not getting God's attention. Prayer is not getting God's attention. It's not begging for God's attention. What do I mean by that? Well, before we dive into the, the model prayer itself, uh, Jesus has, again, a few more words of what not to do. And I think it can be summarized with that simple point. In prayer, we're not trying to manipulate or grasp onto a corner of God's attention. Rather, Jesus says we're simply speaking to our Father. Look at verse number 7. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. If you're reading or if you're familiar with this passage in the Old King James, which is what I memorized today as a young uh, boy, you may have the, the phrase, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do uh, in your thinking. And we ask the question, what are then these empty phrases? What are these vain repetitions that Jesus is speaking out against? Well, again, prayer uh, did not only exist among God's people uh, even at this time. Prayer of some form was, was as common among the other religions in the world as well as it was in Judaism. Uh, prayer in much of the world, like then and it is today, it's marked by ritualistic or repetitive style. Um, much of prayer throughout the world religions that, that would reckon, we would recognize them more as maybe incantations, um, formal invocations, or maybe even recital. And in that kind of religious action, it seems to be that the accuracy and the form of the prayer is more important than the attitude of the person that's actually praying. And with that mindset, prayer can become a secret code or a magic key or, or just a ritual that unlocks access to whatever God is being prayed to. Now, one really interesting illustration, I think it's actually an amazing illustration of this from the Old Testament, is the account of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. 
Uh, you'll recall the challenge between Elijah and, and a large number of Baal's prophets where the task was set forth to build an altar and to pray to their gods uh, to see who would send down fire to ignite the altar. And Elijah, the prophet of the true God, he deferred to Baal's prophets in letting them go first. And the record of their actions gives us a good picture of the kind of false prayer Jesus is speaking about here. I want to go to that passage in 1 Kings and read verse 26 through 29. This is speaking about the prophets of Baal. It says, And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they lived around the altar that they had made, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, crying aloud, or he's saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing or relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered. No one paid attention. You see, in that sad example, hours, hours of prayer. There's ritual involved. They repeat it over and over again. Oh, Baal, answer us. From morning to noon to the middle of the afternoon and on into the evening, they cried aloud, Oh, Baal, answer us. They cut themselves, the text says, after their custom. In other words, this was part of their ritual. They raved on, it said, for hours. But at the conclusion, there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Now, compare that with Jesus' words. When you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. That key phrase there, they think they will be heard for their many words. That is a sad commentary, unfortunately, on all the false prayers in the world. Whatever religion it might be, whatever ritual, whether mild or extreme, they think that they will be heard because of whatever it might be, the number of words, the length of prayer, uh, the rituals that go along with the prayer. Jesus is simply teaching us that we are not only to not approach God like this, but we don't have to approach God like this. We don't have to approach him like the false gods whom people hope to awaken with their shouts, with their repetitive incantations, with cutting of skin, with, with many languages, with extreme length of time in prayer. We don't have to approach God the Father with these Things. In comparison with the false gods who do not hear prayer, no matter how long or loud, Jesus tells his disciples that the true God is a father who already is aware of what they need before they even speak a word. Did you know how the prophet was sort of poking fun 
at these guys and he said, you know, maybe your God's thinking about something else, or maybe he's going to the bathroom, or maybe he's sleeping. Listen, silliness and funny as that may be, that's just a metaphor for the emptiness in all of that prayer and ritual. But with God, our Father, Jesus says, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Prayer, then, is not getting God's attention so that we can inform Him of our difficulties or of our needs. Prayer is approaching a loving Father who is already aware of our very intimate situation. And instead of informing him about it, we cast ourselves upon his kindness, upon his mercy, upon his care. This then leads into Jesus' model prayer, his, his pattern prayer. And this, again, has been memorized throughout the centuries and, and recited and used. Uh, there are many, many people who, who may never even darken the door of any church, at all, but they, they know this model of prayer by heart. And we find it in Scripture in a couple places. We find it in Matthew 6 here. We also find it in Luke uh, chapter number 11. And it's a little bit different in Luke chapter 11, but not a whole lot. It seems like it was a, a different occasion, um, but it's the same teaching that Jesus gives. Perhaps that tells us that he repeated his teaching more than one time. But in Luke 11, it reads like this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And again, the wording of these two passages differs slightly. You can look back and forth at them, but they are essentially the same, and they begin the same way. And the way they begin is very important, because Jesus bases his teaching on prayer both in Sermon on the Mount and also in Luke 11, on the fact that we are praying to our Father. That we are praying to our Father. I want to jump to Luke 11 and read a passage, verses 11 through 13. Jesus says this, What father among you, if he asks for a fish, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Think of this. When we pray, we are praying to our Father, which leads to that second main point. Prayer is not begging for God's attention. Prayer is approaching our Father. Now, this is pretty significant. Um, be care, I'll be careful here. Uh, praying to God as our Father, uh, that concept is, is not brand new in the New Testament. But as a pattern, as a pattern, it is something that Jesus really revolutionized. Very, very few prayers that we read in the Old Testament uh, began like this or even or even recognize God as personally our Father. But almost every time Jesus prays, he addresses God as Father. And of course, we know that's quite true. He is, after all, the, the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. 
But Jesus doesn't simply himself pray, addressing God as Father, but he directs his disciples, his followers, to also view and approach the God of heaven as a personal, loving, heavenly Father. That should shape the way that we pray. That is a critical part of Jesus' teaching here. It's not simply passing words. Jesus was communicating something by praying in this manner. We're not approaching a, a despot who we need to appease. We're not approaching a business mogul who we need to convince of our ideas. We're not approaching a, a professor in, from whom we hope to get a good grade or an extension on our classwork. And we're not even approaching an evil, abusive father who does not love his children. We are approaching a good, holy, pure, heavenly father who loves and knows how to give good and gracious gifts to his children. Now, with that said, in order to not be guilty of becoming one who spends more time talking about prayer than actually praying, I want to be succinct and practical with the rest of this sermon. And it'll be a little bit different than most of my sermons, but I want to approach Jesus' prayer here as, as just what it is, a model or a pattern of prayer. Not something necessarily to be repeated as rote, although certainly if you're at a time in life where Words simply fail you. You can't go wrong with repeating this prayer. But as a rule, Jesus' words here are words of example and instruction. He tells us in verse uh, number nine, pray like this. And in my study this week, I simply broke this prayer into five main portions or concepts. And in my own prayer, I try to allow these to both consciously and subconsciously shape the way that I approach praying. Um, you, if you have your outline, you have it as blanks. I don't normally do that, but I did today. And I, I want to give you the blank um, for each section and then give a few practical words. But then I want to actually spend some time in the sermon praying. And not just me, I want you to pray as well. Uh, there are a lot of sermons that have application that, that needs to be exercised later or outside of the church building, but the application for today is simply to pray as Jesus taught us. And we can do that even now. So let's let's look at a few simple things, and we'll spend some time in prayer as well. And I'll give some instruction on that as we come to it. The first blank, and it coincides with verse number nine, is exaltation. Exaltation. Verse number nine. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first lines in Jesus' model prayer show us, again, that we are to pray and approach God as our heavenly Father. And as Jesus goes through this prayer, there are different prayer requests or petitions. And the first petition that we see is this, hallowed be your name. Now, you may not think of it like this, but that is a prayer request. That is a petition that Jesus is praying. Jesus prays that God's name would be hallowed. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's start with the name. Uh, God's name entails who he is. Uh, 
even more then than now, the name indicated something about a person's character. It was indicative of their personhood. And God's name often reveals part of who he is or what he does. In the Old Testament, we see names like El Shaddai, or the Almighty God, El Elyon, uh, the Most High God. We see Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. We see Yahweh Yaira, the Lord who provides. And the list goes on and on, but God's name reveals who he is. Hallowed is the same as, as sanctified or set apart. And it's the same word that we get holiness from. So for God's name to be hallowed is for God and everything he is to be recognized and set apart in our lives, in our thinking. And this applies to us, but it also applies to those around us. Now what are some practical ways that we can pray like this? I'm going to put these up on the screen. Um, again, these are just things that I thought of. There's many ways we can apply this, but here's the problem. Pray that God would be first in our thinking. Pray that God would be first in our thinking. Pray that we would see the depth of God's holiness and his awesomeness. One more. Pray that others around would see the reality and greatness of God through our words and our works. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So here's what I want to do. It's a little different. There may be some, some awkward silence, and that's fine. But I want to give a minute for a silent prayer. And I would like you, uh, this is not a command, it's a request, I would like you to pray silently. Um, this is not a class exercise, it's just a time to pray. And pray after these things. And then after about a minute, um, this time around, I will, I will pray as well, and then we'll move on to the next one. And uh, in subsequent ones, I'm going to call on some of the men in the church to pray as well. But let's take a moment and pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, you are truly a good Father, a loving, and as your Son, Jesus Christ, taught us, oh God, we pray that your name, that who you are, your character, your greatness, your majesty, would be set apart, that it would be seen as holy, that it would be seen as, as different, that it would be noticeable. 
personally, Lord, I pray in my life that in my thinking, as I process daily tasks, Lord, that your greatness, that your holiness would hover over everything else I think about. It would temper my thoughts, my emotions, and my actions. Lord, I pray for our church, that among the people of our Baptist church, that your name would be seen as holy. That you, God, would be preeminent. And Lord, I pray for our community. For there are many in our community who do not recognize the holiness, the greatness of your name. And I pray, Lord, through our actions and through our words, as we follow Jesus in this world, that the renown of God's name, your name, that it would go forth, that you would be seen for who you truly are, even in our midst. Pray this in Jesus' name. Second blank. As we move to verse number 10, Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, transformation. These are just the words that I came up with that made sense in my thinking. Maybe it'll help you to remember them, but exaltation and transformation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, these petitions, your kingdom come, your will be done, are, are really petitions of change. Jesus prays that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go through that backwards. Uh, heaven, in this case, would be the realm where God abides. Of course, God, we know, is, is present everywhere. Um, but we consider him as, as dwelling above in his holiness and, and above in the heavenly places. We would also consider that there are also his holy angels who do his bidding day and night. So we could say in one sense, heaven is a place where God's will is done perfectly. Or we could also say there is unity and harmony with God in heaven. What about God's kingdom? Well, we've talked a lot about this in Matthew so far. But God's kingdom is his kingship and authority. Again, in heaven, that is seen and recognized perfectly. So the request, then, is that this would be reflected on earth. That God's authority and kingship would be recognized by the people of the earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is a prayer request that is very practical because it assumes a willingness on the part of the one praying to be obedient. If we are really praying for God's kingship and authority to be seen and recognized, then we must be ready to joyfully obey him. So what are some practical ways that we could pray this? Let's give a couple. You might have some as well. Here's one. Pray that we as God's children would take God's kingship and authority seriously in our daily lives. That we would take his kingship and authority seriously in our daily lives. Another, pray that we would exalt God as king with our lips, with our praises. And another, 
pray that the authority of God's kingship would transform the world around us as his truth is spread. So again, let's take a moment. I would ask you to silently pray as, as you feel led uh, by the Holy Spirit in your mind and your heart to pray after these things. And then after a minute, I'm going to ask if Scott Hewitt would, would take a moment to pray uh, publicly for these things as well. So let's pray silently, and then I'll ask Scott. Lord, we do pray for this. When we see in Scripture uh, descriptions of your kingdom, it is good. Uh, there is peace. There is there's health. There's, there's wholeness. There's life. There's light. Um, we, we do desire this. May your kingdom come. Um, help us to want it. Sometimes we settle for lesser things. Uh, we love our sin. We love our darkness. Uh, change our hearts, Lord. Help us to truly want your kingdom and your will to be done. But uh, even when we don't, we make the decision now, may it come anyways, Lord. Uh, may you do, do the good. May your kingdom come. Go ahead to verse number 11. Matthew 6, 11, Jesus continues his pattern of prayer. says this, Give us this day our daily bread. This is uh, provision, if you're following along with blanks. Provision. So we have um, exaltation, transformation, provision. Give us this day our daily bread. If you notice, the first couple verses and the first few petitions have really been Godward, that he would be hallowed and exalted, that his kingship and authority would be seen and recognized. And I think as a pattern, as a rule, that it's important that our prayers be Godward in focus. In fact, he is the true agent of change and transformation. He's the one that we're coming to with our requests after all. But Jesus does move on, and he also teaches that prayer is also very personal and very real. And by real, it's real in the sense of touching our everyday needs. He says, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. And that petition doesn't need a lot of explanation. Bread is food. Food, perhaps a, a picture of, of sustenance and provision. Now, notice the humility of the prayer. Jesus says, ask for this day's bread. Now, I don't know about you, but my mind immediately went back to the story of the Exodus, where the children of Israel who were wandering in the wilderness were to gather one day's manna, one day, and two as they approached the Sabbath. 
And sort of like that, Jesus teaches us that we are to pray and humbly ask God to sustain us with this day's bread. Tomorrow will bring what tomorrow will bring. In fact, Jesus will talk about that later in this passage as he addresses the subject of, of worry. But tomorrow will bring what tomorrow will bring. But today, we pray, Lord, give us what we need. The humility of this request is also really practical as well, because praying like this negates any greed or selfishness. Now, what are some practical ways that we can pray like this? You could pray like this. Pray that you would always look to God for your provision and not become self-reliant. That you would always look to God for provision and not become self-reliant. Pray that God would give you peace about tomorrow's worries and contentment with today's provision. Or maybe like this. Pray that God would supply these daily needs for others who you know are in need. And grant you the grace to give out of your abundance. So it's a request for provision. So again... I you to take a moment to pray silently in your mind, in your heart, and after a moment, I'll ask if Sean Barrows would, would pray publicly after this one. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the grace that you've given us. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And we ask, Lord, we know that we have needs here at Hyder Baptist Church, Lord, physical needs, funds. We just thank you for the great provision you've given us. We've had needs, we've met them, and we just trust that you will continue to. Not asking for great storehouses, Lord, but just to, to meet our, our needs as we go along day to day, week to week. We just think of our uh, missionaries, Lord, they have needs on the field, medical needs, uh, just provision for the day to day sustenance. We just pray that you provide for their needs. We just pray that you provide for the needs in our community, Lord, uh, people that are uh, suffering, Lord. We just pray that you would help us to. Recognize the need that you show it to us, and we might be able to need it. You'd be able to show your love to others, and your kingdom would be expanded here in Ira and West Rome and around the world. We just thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Okay, two more. Uh, provision, and then the fourth blank is remission. Remission. Now that's a fancy word that uh, means forgiveness or a release of debt. And uh, this next verse, number 12, Jesus prays, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And uh, this petition is both practical and spiritual. 
It's simply a prayer for forgiveness, and it applies on two realms. It applies as forgiveness on the realm between us and God, and it applies to our practical forgiveness of those around us. And the fact that Jesus includes this prayer for forgiveness in his model prayer teaches us two things. One, that we are in constant need of forgiveness. And two, that we are always to offer forgiveness. You can put it this way. Forgiveness is one of the distinguishing marks of a disciple of Christ. Even previously in the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen Jesus' emphasis on forgiving others in a reconciliation, and he includes it in his model prayer as a very part of our daily uh, spiritual exercise. Now, after the Lord's Prayer, in verses 14 and 15, we read these words. Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And we're going to cover this concept again in other places in Jesus' teaching, even in the book of Matthew. But simply put, forgiveness is a mark of a forgiven person. Jesus says in another place, to whom much is given, much is required. And before we ever forgave anybody else, our Heavenly Father, in the person of Christ Jesus, has forgiven us an insurpassable mountain of debt. And we as his children are commanded to reflect that forgiveness in others as well. This is part of being a peacemaker in the world. This is part of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that the forgiveness we have received would also flow out as well. Now, as Jesus prays, forgive us our debts, uh, these debts... This word can be actual monetary debts, or it can be debt incurred by an act against another person. Now, primarily, the debt is before God, but it can also be, and often is, against others. Our unrighteousness does and has incurred a debt before God, a, a debt that had to be paid in atoning sacrifice, pictured in the Old Testament, and although foreshadowed here, will be fully seen in the Gospels in the sacrifice of Christ. Ultimately, that debt is forgiven in Jesus. But that forgiveness is to be reflected in our lesser but still real forgiveness of others. So how can we pray this? Forgive me, I forgot to put these on the slide, but I'll read them. We can pray that the Lord would forgive us of our daily sins and give us the strength to walk in repentance each day. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. We can pray that God would help us to know who we need to forgive. We can pray that we would never lose the wonder of forgiveness in our own life, and that we would not harbor bitterness against others who have offended us. So again, let's take a moment and pray along these lines, and then after a moment has passed, I'm going to ask if, if Frank Morgan would pray um, publicly after this. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonder of your forgiveness. Thank you that you are the God of love. You are the God who wants to see us grow. You're the one that has made it possible for us to understand this and live it in this world among our brothers and sisters, probably, and then later in the larger community that we do fall short. We are sinners, and you are a God who forgives. And we have to, and we need to, and we take pleasure uh, from being forgiven. Again, think of a world, what it would be like to have to live without forgiveness. And I thank you for sending Jesus to teach us this, but even more, that he gave himself on the cross that we can receive forgiveness. And, uh, oh Lord, what, what a blessing it is to know you as our Father, to know your love. And this here, Lord, is we ask for help, but we also recognize it's a commandment that we forgive others. And so help us to um, be, have conscience that is sensitive to this and to try to live, uh, live this out in our lives. That your kingdom may come, your will may be done in earth. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll come to verse number 13. In the last petitions as Jesus prays in his model prayer, um, read like this. Praise, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from you. Um, the last link I've given you here is salvation. Salvation. And uh, salvation in this sense, uh, it's not just speaking of, of ultimate salvation in terms of our eternal salvation, but really our, our daily salvation. Um, I'm going to read a scripture from Philippians 2. We read uh, this last week in our service and it applies today as well. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We think of the idea of salvation in Scripture. We really see it in three different tenses. Um, of course, there is a present reality in which we are saved, and we might speak of that in terms of the fact that we're justified before God by faith, and that is an unchangeable state. So there is a sense in which we are saved already, but there is also a sense in which we're still being saved. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 1. That is, that we're daily being saved, or we're being delivered from sin and temptation, and we're being delivered by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, and we are led as we walk. So we are saved, we're being saved, and there's a sense in which we will finally and fully be saved. In the new creation, when our sinful minds and bodies are totally renewed. 
As Jesus prays here, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's really speaking of that daily deliverance, that daily salvation, that ongoing grace, day by day, to fight sin and temptation. The operative words in verse 13 are, deliver us and lead us. Jesus' prayer recognizes that God, as our Heavenly Father, is the one who delivers or saves us, and he is God who leads us. That word for, for lead is literally to carry. God carries us each day in deliverance. He carries us through the trials. He carries us through the sorrows. And as we trust him in his Holy Spirit's leading, he carries us and delivers us from temptation and also from the evil one himself. So how can we pray this? Well, we can pray that we would have the strength to fight the spiritual battles that we face each day against the evil one. We can pray that we would see God as our protector and the one who carries us and delivers us. And maybe most importantly, we can pray, and you can pray, that God would deliver you from specific besetting sins that you know, that you struggle with. So again, for one last time, let's take a moment in silent prayer as we reflect on these things, and then I will pray publicly after I'm always Father, the, the battles that we face are very real. Oh God, even, even the Lord Jesus faced the battles of temptation in a very real sense. And you, Jesus, you fell back on the scripture and prayer in your temptation. And you teach us, Lord, to do the same. So Father, as we walk day by day, may we be comforted with the fact that you given us your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us. May we be comforted by the fact that you, you are our salvation, ultimately, but also day by day, Lord, you deliver us. Lord, even this morning, I know that you have delivered me from the temptation of worry, of doubt, of dread in some sense. Lord, you know these things. I know your deliverance is very real. I also know my temptation is very real. I face it daily. Yet, God, we can approach your throne. I can approach your throne at any moment. That you would deliver us. Deliver me. Lord, we know that you carry us. And you do not carry us into evil, into temptation, Lord. You carry us through it. And you allow trials and you bring tests, Lord. But you yourself, Lord, you do not tempt us. Rather, you carry us and deliver us through and out of these things as we trust you 
We pray this, Lord, for our daily lives. I pray this for our church. Or whatever somebody may be struggling with, even in this moment, if there's a if there is a nagging, besetting sin that just wants to creep back up, Lord, even right now in their thinking, Lord, would you deliver this person from the evil in that regard? You are powerful, God. You save us. We trust in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for these words. Again, the application of this is simple. Pray like this. Not just the way that Scott or Frank or Sean or myself prayed. And not even just with the exact words that Jesus prayed here. But pray like this, as a pattern. Pray knowing that God is your Heavenly Father who sees and cares and loves. Pray that, knowing that He answers your prayer. Pray knowing that He provides for our needs, that He forgives us of our sins, and that He leads us and delivers us day by day. Pray like this for yourself. Pray like this for your brothers and sisters, please. Pray like this for your pastor, for your elders, for your deacons. Pray like this for your children. Pray like this for your neighbors. Pray like this, as we've seen even today, for the missionaries that we support across the world. Pray like this for the leaders in our nation. Pray like this for all, but most importantly, pray. Pray. One last thing before we're done. That is simply this. Prayer is or is to be reflected in our lives. We've already noticed uh, verses 14 and 15 and how Jesus really tied forgiveness, the reality of forgiveness to it being real in our lives. Uh, our obedience is imperative. And that's one example. It's perhaps the most important example because Jesus used it. But an application of that is this. If we pray that we will be forgiven and that we will forgive, then go forth in the strength God gives you to forgive when you have the chance. But we can apply that further. If you pray for reconciliation with a brother or a sister, then as much as it depends on you, work for the peace between you and that brother. If you pray for an opportunity to spread God's word, his truth, his glory, then when that opportunity comes, take it. Otherwise, our prayers have become ritualistic and empty. And as Jesus has already warned, in that sense, we have received our reward. Brothers and sisters, may we pray as Jesus taught us. May we see the reality of prayer in our lives. And may we know the reality of our Heavenly Father who hears and answers prayer.